0: Hi and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I'm joined by Mike Singleton, head coach of men's soccer at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, and former associate head coach of the men's team at William Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, Brendan Bordage. These guys go fairly deep into their thoughts about their philosophies on coaching student athletes, developing leaders, and all around good people. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. Yeah, so welcome guys. Um, so before we started recording, um, I was talking to Brendan um, about you know the success that Mike's had and what types of players he's recruiting to continue to build on that success, on that success um, and that sort of thing. Um, Brendan, you want to kind of jump in and help me uh, ask the, the right question here?
1: Sure. And I you, think one of the yeah. most interesting things based on where we are uh, with match play and some of the uh, some of the discussions we've had is as college coaches, a lot of times the, the stuff you can see on the field is fairly straightforward in terms of evaluation. That doesn't mean it's easy, but – It means you can tell if someone's fast you can tell if someone's strong you can tell if they can score in pressure situations uh the things that are harder to evaluate are the things that may happen you know off the field in your program or the things that kind of make your program cohesive and that make your group a little more than the sum of its parts and so i think the most interesting conversations that we've had mike in the past have dealt with how you, you know, how you evaluate or how you figure out from maybe a limited number of contacts with a particular player that you're recruiting, how do you try to get at some of those qualities? Like, what are the qualities that you think are, you know, are things you prioritize in terms of not just soccer stuff? And then maybe a little bit about how you try to get at some of those things and try to evaluate some of those things, given the limitations we have in terms of recruiting rules.
2: Right, right. Well, that's one thing. Like I put a, a really high stock in the, in the personality of the people we bring in here. Because um, I always say, it's you know, one apple ruins the whole bushel. And it's, it's really important for us to make sure that our team is enjoying each other, both on and off the field. And I think a team that enjoys each other off the field typically plays better on the field. So I think it's very harmonious when we look at the, you know, off the field and on the field stuff. Through the process, there's a few things that we do to try to pull out some of these factors. And some of the things that we put a high stock on are hunger. Um, I want somebody who has a growth mindset and I want somebody who is going to go after it and try to make it happen. Isn't, Isn't just going to be sitting there waiting for it to happen for them. And when I see that people exhibit that hunger on the field, then it jumps out at me right away. And then if I can see that they have sort of that strong competitive drive, then it's we pose questions at them, quite honestly, in hopes of seeing how they respond to it, just (laughs) as simple as can be. Um, But when I watch people play, I do give them feedback and I do give them constructive feedback as well. Um, And I've had a wide array of responses to that. Some people thinking that, you know, everything they do is good and they couldn't believe that I didn't like something they did. Um, And then other people saying thanks so much. And one guy who was a two-year captain here, he came back seven months after I had given him that feedback in another tournament. And as I was watching him play, he ran off the field and he railed off the three points I gave him and asked me if I thought he had done a better job on those three things. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. he's someone I want on my team. And it turned out he was, I mean, he was a two-year captain, but he was really a four-year captain um, because he was always talking and leading and was a very responsible young man um, on the team. But so it starts with really giving that feedback and seeing how they take it. Then there's things that we talk about as well. And I say very openly when people are visiting campus here, I say to them, I say, look, the last game of your senior year, I'm going to be asking you to get better. If you're not comfortable with that, don't come here. And I stare them straight in the eye when I say it, it's to see how they're absorbing it and how they're adjusting to it, because it is something I want them to understand that as competitive people, we're always competitive. It's not something you turn on and off. And I share with them that I win so many races on highways against cars that don't know they're racing against me because that's how competitive I am. I'm always wanting to sort of figure out a way to win something and we talk a lot about that with our recruits of so just think about how is it if you play on a team when everybody is like-minded that way and where these guys come from with their clubs there's varied motivations and varied backgrounds of where they're coming so that's a selling point that we sell to recruits as well as understanding that hey you're going to be with everyone on the team is similarly minded in this way they're going to be pushing each other constantly and I task it to the players to have them be doing that to each other because NCAA rules prohibit us from working with players so often in the year. So yeah, that's the biggest things for us is, is really making sure that one, they're hungry and two they're, they're pushed to compete constantly in everything they do. And that's both on and off the field um, and understanding to get in here, they have to be really driven academically and, have been had a lot of success academically. So usually if if they're in the ballpark to getting in here, I know they've done good work in that domain. Um, But then we have an open talk with them when they do get here and tell them that when you come to college and you play a sport, you lose your first name. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, your name becomes that soccer player, dot, dot, dot. Because whatever you do, is good or bad on, on campus, you will be referred to as that soccer player and every one of your teammates and coaches and alums will be colored in the same way that you were just framed. Mm -hmm. So that's a responsibility and a a huge responsibility they carry. Um, But I think it's true. And typically when people have shown that they're very, say, hungry and driven and competitive, they get that because they also don't want to have somebody else just do something to make them look bad, knowing that they're going to get the same sort of negativity if it happens, if one of their teammates does something bad. So it kind of gives them a little bit more responsibility, and and I like that they take that responsibility seriously. Um, the other thing I do tell my players too, which is interesting, is if they do make a mistake while they're here, I ask them to tell me first. Now, it's odd because they get three strikes when they're here, if you get three strikes, you're cut from the team and I won't recommend you go for any other program. And so if they do something wrong, they know they're getting a strike. But at the same point, they're tasked with telling me first, because if I hear it from a dean or I hear it from campus security or someone else, there's nothing I can do for them and there's no way I can help them. So that's part of the responsibility when they come in too, is understanding that, hey, we're all going to make mistakes. I'm not going to belabor the mistake, but if we make a mistake, we have to figure out how to do the best after we do so to not make it compounded. And if you come to me first, then we can talk about that and we can talk proactively about the steps you should take to minimize the damage that you do. Um, but if you don't and you try to hide it from me, well, that's going to hurt the program a lot more. And that's where we're going to be a little bit more upset. And you're going to have to rectify it with your teammates because then you've done extra work to hurt their reputation as well.
1: So you talked about uh, in our programs. You know, I was at William and Mary for a while, and <clears throat> our programs have a lot of similarities in terms of the difficulty of getting in and the high expectations once you get there. And as coaches, you know, a lot of times we make some assumptions when you when you have somebody who gets into school and who has been performing at a high level on the field as well, <clears throat> you know, they've done really well academically and athletically throughout their youth career. You know, maybe you, you feel like, uh, I'm not going to have to worry about this guy, or, you know, you, you maybe feel like you can take your foot off the gas a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, monitoring them and supervising them and, and what we might call handholding um, when you get new players into your program. So this is something that I, I think about a lot, uh, with the guys that I've recruited as well, how? What type of things do you see that? And, and not necessarily that they have to be, you know, it's like a huge negative quality or anything. But where are the courses adju- or the the guidance? Where do you have to apply the most guidance early in a player's career when they first get to Washington and Lee?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it starts before they even get here, quite honestly, because. They're assigned mentors months before they arrive on campus. And we have a, a mentor guidebook that's a living document that we've made up with captains for a long time now. It keeps getting updated. And those mentors are charged with having phone contact with the the incomers at least every two to three weeks throughout the entire summer, essentially from May to August. So it kind of starts there. Um, the other thing that we do that We try to impress upon them as during preseason, the first years are in charge of all our social media accounts, and they have to post at least once a day on all accounts. And I will tell you, it's very interesting. They they get nervous about it. They get worried about it, but they ride into it. What I didn't expect is that on our team Twitter account, we would now be getting updates from all these female players committing everywhere and everyone they had looked at when they were on the Twitter account. (laughs) it's kind of those one unexpected consequences but it was good because it's it gets them to understand they have that responsibility and that's the biggest thing that i want to impart upon them is that they're now involved in something bigger than themselves they can still be an individual and do their individual things but their responsibility lies bigger because it's they're representing a, a bigger group um that's the biggest thing um and then Really getting them to use their resources is the other thing. Um, I think college has a lot of opportunities. We have free tutoring here. We have I tell them that we always have four or five geniuses in the bus. Um, so utilize them. And, you know, last year when we were traveling, it showed up with a couple of freshmen. They were figuring out some mathematics problem they had in their class. And they were sitting behind me on the bus. And it took them, they were about 30 minutes into this one question that they couldn't solve and they were just going in circles round and round and round and after a while I was just like wow they are first years and I looked at them like guys are you are you solving that problem they're like coach we're having we're having a whole lot of trouble with it I'm like well are you using the resources you have to solve the problem they're like we've been trying I'm like what resources do you have and they're like well we have the book we have our notes we have this and I was like yes but you forget that Charlie's on the bus and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, Charlie's a math genius. I'm like, he's 15 feet behind you. Go ask him. Charlie comes up two minutes later, the problem solved. I look back at him. I'm like, did we learn something today? And they're like, we're sorry, coach. We should have realized that. And it's just realizing that, you know, it's problem solving. And there's a lot of problem solving to do in college. And sometimes we just have to guide their attention to finding the easiest paths as opposed to going through the brick wall, which often students do because they don't haven't thought about it differently or had resources similar before.
1: Yeah. And I think that, that uh, just exposing people to resources and, and helping them understand that they don't have to do it all by themselves is, is crucial. One of the qualities that, uh, you know, in the, in the questionnaire that we've developed for match play, self-awareness and self-reliance and, and self-efficacy is all hugely important. Um, and part of it is because, you know, you're, you're going through a transition where you, you know, most guys or most college athletes are moving out of their house. They don't have their parental support, you know, right next door anymore. They're having to figure, like you said, some things out on their own. Um, they're having to identify where their resources are and accomplish strategies to leverage those resources. And so when we talk about all these individual qualities that we look for in a, in a student athlete, I mean, do you think that those qualities that you were talking about, like being resourceful and being aware enough to know, like, I can't figure this out by myself. I need to find some help. Um, do you think those, are those things that you, are able to evaluate through the lens of kind of the the competitiveness and the drive and the responsibility you've already talked about, or do you think that self that self uh, self directedness and that self regulation and self awareness is that a is that a different category of stuff? Does that make sense?
2: I think like, I think in part of it I see that self directness is something I think most of them come with Mm self-directedness i don't think they're savvy within that skill i think Mm -hmm. they know how they've done it and we're trying to put more tools in their toolbox Mm -hmm. to be able to solve more situations and and think less linearly i'll put it that way Mm -hmm. um so i think that's that's really the biggest thing is just getting people to understand that you know, one of the things our our team does, and this is, I'll relate this back to it, is everybody on my team writes a why I play essay, okay? And it gets read to the team. So once a week, we have somebody read their why I play essays. And us coaches have done it as well. And people essentially tell their soccer story. That's essentially what happens. So it's usually Mm -hmm. a five to 10 minute story of, you know, I started playing like when I was this old and here and here's why I loved it and then it changed as I grew up and here's why I'm here today and what I want now and what who I believe I am as a player right now and so the stories that people have shared are awesome like they're just awesome but the backgrounds from which people come are so varied. it just opens up people's eyes so much so Those first years when they hear you know, where that junior and that senior have come from and what they're doing and and they've heard their path fully and they've heard it five to ten times over in their first freshman season, it kind of smacks them in the head in a really good way because they're starting to realize that, whoa, that's a different path. He's been different places. Wow, he's looking at this entirely differently. Um, And he's cool, but how do I relate to that and how do I – how how do I hug that in a way as a teammate? Um, And I think that's something that comes back to it is because they start seeing all their differences so much and they start to understand really the true motivation that each player has to be there. They start to trust each other more and feel that, oh yeah, there are different ways to this same point. People have taken different paths to get here. Um, And that coupled with, we're very direct. Um, I tell people, if any player has confusion as to what's expected from him at any point, that's both our faults because communication is a two-way street. And I tell them, I promise, I'll always have them working on two or three things, never more, never less. And I will always tell them how to go about it most efficiently and best. And if I can make that promise to them and keep it simple, then they understand they have the resource here. But if they get to the point of confusion, they have to understand, they have to ask the question. They can just mm-hmm. go into bewilderment and then be lost and now be ineffective in probably everything they're doing. So that's the time of just realizing is we're all here to solve a problem. So let's do it together. Mm-hmm. And it's a cool thing when you go to play college soccer. And I say this to recruits as well think about it. It's the only time in your life you have somebody whose full-time job is to help you reach your goals. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that ever in life. Yeah. If you right. want to be the best player you can be, my full-time job is to help you do that and to support you doing that. And quite honestly, I'm your biggest cheerleader, because if you do that, I'm the happiest guy <laughs> in the world. So, yeah. It's really interesting that you got four years where you have somebody whose full-time job is to help you reach your goals. So maximize it, take advantage of it, and be very open and and self-aware of it as you're realizing what you want and how to go about it. Because you know when we graduate and we get into the real world, there's no other boss of any other company who's going to be focused on your goals. They're going to be focused on the company's Mm -hmm. goals, the business's goals something other. Um, so it's kind of cool that you have that, but I do think players or students, they need help figuring out how to take advantage of it and utilizing Mm -hmm. it best and making the most of that resource that they do have in the four years as well.
1: So when you talk about your, uh, you've talked about some of the structures that you have in place that are just elements of your program you know, your mentorship program, uh, your why I play essay, you know, some of those things that you do that are just year in and year out consistently part of your kind of your philosophy and how you go about doing business. So some of those, you know, a lot of those are the structures put in place by the staff and it's kind of supervised or monitored by the staff. And you guys sort of guide that process. What types of things as players develop in your program, certainly for young young players, it's difficult to, uh, to put a lot of that responsibility on their shoulders for guiding the group or for the, the, the way the group goes about its business. So as you get to those juniors and seniors who are sharing their uh, why I play essays and they're sort of having, having this initial impact on the younger players and, and widening their perspective potentially, how do you leverage that connectedness within your group? And what qualities do you see in those older leaders that, or, or how do they take on the responsibility of building on something like a why I play essay session? Like where does it go from there with your older players and your younger players?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different ways that it, that it goes. And, and one, one is we have summer reading as well. So people have to read books and they have to do a play and report in book report form in our, meetings afterwards, except seniors who get to choose any TED Talks they want and then present them and give something why. Um, what the seniors present always just amazes me because they come up with stuff that are just that's just cool um, and what they're trying to stress to the young guys. And it's the first meeting on the first day, so the first years really get it from the seniors right from the start with TED Talks that are personalized. Um, an example, a few years back, we had a player who he lost his brother uh, when he was in college and it was very hard for him. And he chose to come back to school and finish and, and play a senior year. And so he was doing his TED talk and he put up Simon Sinek and he's like, whatever you're doing, you must ask why every day. Ask yourself why. And he just was very straight and directed and he had a presence to him that was pretty cool. And so he goes over it and he's like, I never asked myself why about anything in life until I had to write the essay here. And now when I've gone through this loss and the devastation of my family, I ask why about every single thing I do. And it's like, so right there we have it set up to give them something. Um, As before we get to that point where they're seniors, With our captains, the players vote for captains, and they have to tell us why they're voting for captains as well. But when we choose the captains, the captains have six months and weekly meetings with us coaches um, when they accept the captaincy roles. And that's quite honestly um, very little to do with soccer, a great deal to do with personality, communication, leadership, balancing roles, understanding their form of leadership, so not trying to be the captain that they respected most or someone else, what they think is a captain, Um, and then how they can collaborate their skills to get the whole job done. So we try to get them to understand, one, their style of communication and leadership, but two, then let's... Let them all do their most enjoyable things, and then if there's other stuff, we'll share the load of the stuff that nobody's finding enjoyable, and make sure it's not a burden to, to any one individual. Um, mm-hmm. So those guys, they 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 get a lot of. There's no one right way to do it. Training, I guess, is the way to put it, because <laughs> it's.
1: Uh, that's a tough acronym, but yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I think that that's a big thing. And and then we also break out our team into subgroups by captain. So Mm -hmm. I list all the players on the board and I just have them use different colors and put a star next to each person they feel really comfortable being a leader Mm -hmm. with and having a relationship with. And then so if we have three or four captains, each person will get, you know, six or seven guys that they're directly in charge of. So if I see Mm -hmm. somebody on the team who's just out of sorts, the first person that I will ask is that captain who's in charge of that person of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then we'll facilitate sort of helping the player from there. Um, but they know that whether it be good things or like rather rewarding comments or reinforcement comments or punitive comments or things like that, that they're in charge of those players. Mm-hmm.
1: So we do, uh, in terms of leadership at William & Mary, it's very similar in the philosophical sense that there's no one way to do this and you know we try to take a really good inventory of the qualities or the attributes that a particular leader brings and try to maximize the impact that those values are going to have or those attributes are going to have within the group and having a balance within your I'm sure within your captain group you know having a good balance is important uh, you can't have four guys who are You know for lack of a better term drill sergeants and you know kind of take that very black and white approach or that zero defect approach but you also can't have four guys who are just you know really nurturing and understanding and you know maybe lack a little bit of the the uh personality to hold guys accountable in in difficult moments so as i've gone through the process of you know interviewing and selecting leaders you know our process is, is somewhat similar aside from actually designating captains um I found myself, I'm surprised sometimes by, from the recruiting process, I evaluate a certain player and I think I have a pretty decent idea of what their personality is and what they're going to bring. And then, you know, maybe through their application essay for the leadership program or something like that, I get some insight or I get a little bit of an idea of something they maybe bring to the group that, that I wouldn't have known, you know, just based on the recruiting process. Or it might've taken me two or three years of having them in the program to really, get that that attribute that they have or to really understand that, hey, this is something that the group can really use or that they can really add to what we have going on here. So my question is, do you find that you're often surprised, like when, when the team votes on captains, for instance, and you go, okay, these three guys make sense. This guy, like I, I didn't see it before, you know, based on the recruiting process or based on your interactions with them up to that point. Do you guys have kind of hidden attributes and things that maybe are really hard to evaluate in the recruiting process, but then really blossom once they get to your program?
2: I think it's an interesting question because, you know, I I believe that basically all good things in life are time dependent. And what I mean by that is, you know, say you meet a significant other, you can meet a significant (laughs) other at a certain time period of life, and it can be a wonderful match. Whereas if you have met that person 10 years earlier, you probably wouldn't have been together. And, that sort of relates to what you're talking about is sometimes it's just people get it when they're a junior something clicks in them and they just show a different character or a different way of being um and i think that's that's one of the most interesting things that i enjoy about coaching quite honestly is because you see a different person graduate than who comes in because they go through all these different changes um Mm -hmm. but it was one thing it was interesting we had a player that an entire freshman class voted for, which had never happened before. And he was going to be a senior, and every single freshman voted for him. And everyone wrote the same thing in why. He checked with me every day to see how I was and really cared about me. And when I talked to that freshman class, they said, look, literally every day of preseason and every day of practice, he came up to me personally and said, how are you today? How are you doing? And he meant it. And it was really interesting because this player also was two X's into his three X's. Mm -hmm. So one part was, I was like, wow, I didn't know he was doing that. That's really awesome. And the other part was, he gets another X. This is a blemish on the program, like no other. So that became an interesting thing. And, I never would have known that he was you know, going to be the, the group leader in that fashion or that he was just minded in a way to care that much and do that. Um, so for him, it became a real big conversation. Um, I didn't make him a captain. I talked to him about the responsibility he had, if he were to be captain and if I should dare to make him captain given his two strikes. Um, because we had had a lot of talks about what he did to get those strikes as well so yeah. it's, it's just something where in his case we made him a captain and he did a marvelous job um and some of the stupid things he did when he was a first year and a second year he didn't exemplify anymore his junior and senior year because i think he got scared well enough that he was going to get kicked out of school <laughs> that he didn't do it but also he kind of started realizing the importance of the team and his brothers Mm -hmm. in a way is the way he would explain them. Um, But I think it's, I don't know, I keep an open mind as we go through the process because I don't expect to always know what guys are going to turn out like. Um, Yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. Some guys develop in different ways um, and their roles on the team, it's really interesting to see how they react to them. So we have seniors who've come back after not having played much and they'll come back senior year more enthusiastic and excited and happy on the field than anything I've ever seen. And I admire that greatly. Um, I've seen guys do that and I'm just like, that's awesome. Like, you're, you're in better shape. You're, you're hungrier. You're, you're doing everything because you're like, no, I, I want to give myself my best chance. And I think that's really cool. Um, then I had Another player who he had a choice of reversion back to his high school playing style because he was so frustrated because he wasn't playing well, and we had to talk about it. And I said, you know, we were making gains on this, and then you started just taking more touches and going willy nilly all the time. He says to me, he goes, "Yeah, I think about in October I just said, ah, oh, what the heck, and I just started playing soccer the way I had when I was in high school because." That's when I had my most fun. So I was just trying to have fun. And I was like, at the same point, you weren't doing anything that we were asking you to do as coaches. And he's like, Yeah. I'm like, and he was an awesome, he's an awesome person. And I said to him, I'm like, look, I like talking to you. It's fun. Like, I really value our conversations. But isn't it fair to say you're uncoachable? And he looked at me with a smirk. He's like, Yeah, that's a fair statement. And I was like, Is that who you want to be? Like, this is literally our conversation. I'm like, is that who you want to be? And he's like, no, I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) And so we talked for another 20 minutes and sort of go out. And I remember my assistant coach at the time looked at me. He's like, you knew you were going to call him uncoachable when he came in. He basically just defined his behavior as uncoachable. And then you got him smiling and feeling valued when he left the door after you called him uncoachable. And that meeting was to tell him he needed a huge behavior change. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I know he doesn't want to be that person, and it goes back to I got to help him be the best person he can be, and whether he's on the field so or was on the really, field. He doesn't want to be that person who
1: doesn't take feedback and doesn't work on it. <laughs> Here's what I'm really interested in with that particular player. If you can remember the recruiting process, was this? Did this? 180 to become more uncoachable or the reversion, as you mentioned, was that something that you always had in the back of your mind that it it might go this direction? Was there any indication of that in the recruiting process?
2: I would say yes. And the reason Mm -hmm. I would say yes is because he came from a small club in not a Mm -hmm. big soccer area. Um, So he wasn't in a training situation that was – uh, challenging every day. He was often the best in the field. Um, and, you know, he, he was the big fish in the small pond. Um, and through my recruiting him, he was inconsistent as a player. Um, mm-hmm. When he was good, he could be really, really good. But I didn't think he knew how to prepare himself daily to be good every day. Um, mm-hmm. So that was one of the big things we were trying to work on with him is – to understand what he was good at and bring it every day, um, and I think that was a that was a, a longer road for him to get there than the average person. Um, mm-hmm. And I think his his senior year was by far his best season, um, and I wish it had been his junior year. Quite honestly, um, yeah, his path took longer, um, yeah. but that's one of the things that you know, as people are coming from, say, smaller club situations or less competitive club situations, I always think it's a little bit more of a uh, a random guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, look, we've, we've all been there in the recruiting process where we're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, you know, are we making an offer? Are we not making an offer? And you're parsing every tiny little piece of information that you've been able to gather and you're still i don't know (laughs) i just don't know and you're not sure why you're making the decision and you know some of the some of the approach like with this with this instrument that scott and i have created is to try to just add another tiny data point you know it's certainly not going to be the central like the central component of your recruiting process or any college coach's recruiting process but Having maybe just one more like somewhat objective data point to say, you know, we're on the fence about this guy, but hey, I can point to, you know, this particular attribute, you know, something that maybe is really important in your program. Like you mentioned the self-directedness or the responsibility or being driven or motivated or, you know, something like that, that, hey, he scores a little bit higher here than, than some of these other guys that, that I've recruited in the past or some of these guys I've had in my program. And does that, Does that extra little data point like tip the scales a little bit or does it give me just a tiny bit more confidence that not necessarily that he's going to come in and blow it away right away, but that by the time he's a junior or a senior, you know, some of these qualities, if we do a good job as a staff, some of these qualities will come to the fore. You know, we'll start to see those things a little more consistently, that type of thing. Um, So that's kind of what, you know, as we're as we're talking about this talking about these attributes that that we're able to evaluate with young players you know it's it's about it's often about fine margins right mm-hmm. it's not you never go through the recruiting process and go yeah these are our top 10 guys we got all 10 of them mm-hmm. next right like let's get ready for the fall season you know it's always you always come down to some of these really small small margins in terms of actually making decisions on players as i'm sure they do on the other end when they're making decisions on programs Um, so yeah, so that kind of wraps up for me in terms of like the stuff I wanted to pick your brain about and some of the connections. So I'm going to, uh, pass it over to Scott and see if he wants to, what he has to add.
0: Man, I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, you guys, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) one, one thing that, uh, came to mind while you were talking, Mike was, I know you both are very thoughtful guys and like when you have kids come in and I'm sure that you're really, really good at not just evaluating them on the field, but kind of what's going on in between their ears and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, there, most coaches I'm sure will have some sort of plan to, you know, this is where I see the, the, the player arc going and that sort of thing. And Mike, well, but either one of you, but um, we'll start with Mike, but like, are you guys devising plans to develop them as leaders and people? And, you know, you've talked about the self-directedness and, you know, you cleverly got that kid to agree that he was uncoachable at, at that point, you know? And, and so was that a strategy of yours from, you know, some observations you made once he was on campus or, you know, was that just something that you came up with in the moment or are you really thoughtful about, you know, Where, you know, identifying potential and then developing kids into that through self-directedness and that sort of thing. It's a long question.
2: I think it's interesting.
0: (laughs) Like, I really do
2: look at every person that I bring in. And I chose my word very carefully there. um, Because I do look at them as people first before I think of them as players. And for me, Mm -hmm. it's, it's my job to try to motivate them and get them to figure out how they can succeed most. So the communication style is different with every player. And I said that to, I say that in that original meeting we have at the beginning of the year as well. And, and a guy who's just graduated, who is also a two-year captain, he's like, yeah, I remember when you said that when I was a freshman, and I thought it was BS. I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, but he's like, I'll be honest with you. You don't talk to anyone like you talk to me. He's like, you 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 ask me to do things and challenge me in certain ways that you don't my best friends. And I'm like, yeah, because you're you. And that's, and I think that that comes into it a big part is, I think coaches really do have the responsibility to make sure that they're attending to each person individually. And if we do so, I mm-hmm. think well, it's, it's healthy, um, but it's humane um, and it's professional of us to do so. So I'm going to try to do that yeah. as much as I can. Um, and I think it's something that when, when guys are getting that direct mm-hmm. feedback that they know is personal and they understand it's not generic or universal in a way. They start to value it and expect it and treat each other that way too. Because it almost sets a tone of No, it's it's not a secret. We're all trying to be the best players we can on the field. So don't be sensitive about it. We're it's we're just trying to get it done. Trying to be good. That's what we're in the business of being good. So let's be good together and figure it out. And if we can take away some of that sensitivity and that defensiveness and the worry that they have, um,
0: I think I think it raises the ceiling of everybody uh, much greater. Yeah. So, I mean, you're really talking about being vulnerable and, you know, there's definitely a negative connotation sometimes with being vulnerable, but it's, it's the way you... Like, how do you guide them into being vulnerable for the benefit of the team? I mean, you, you you have them write an essay that they have the option of being vulnerable in that. But, you know, how do you encourage that so that they grow together as a cohesive, mm-hmm. you know, team?
2: I think, it, you know, it's an interesting, I'll say, push and pull to it in a way. Okay, so... Obviously, when you're a head coach or an assistant coach, there are different roles that come with each of those positions. And you would think of assistant coaches being more personable and more friendly than head coaches can afford to be Right. Now. So I think, in a way, I have to keep a distance from being considered a buddy or a friend. And I, I need to do that. But at the same point, I think that doesn't mean I have to appear to be unfallible or not having humility myself. And if I show my vulnerability as well, then I think it disarms it from the guys because they can still have respect for the head coach in the manner I think they need to. But I'm a person and, you know, I know... The way that they look at their coaches—that if I show that vulnerability, that it's going to resonate with them. They're going to see it, there, and it's going to—it's going to be impactful in a way. They're not going to miss that. It's—they're going to understand what it is, um, right? And that's—I remember it was a couple of years ago. We were playing a game, and uh, it was the anniversary of my mom's passing, and I talked to the team about it. And how important it was to me in the locker room before the game after that guys just came up hugging after the game she would have liked that coach stuff like that and it was just something where i was like yeah i think i need to share this with them because this is something in me right now that i need to feel and i think true moments like that genuine moments not that you have a whole bunch of them (laughs) <laughs> but if you know if they come up every once in a while it i don't know it kind of becomes the culture because it's 360. i'm not asking them to be vulnerable and not willing to sort sure of be that myself
0: yeah yeah that's, Well, yeah i'm sure that was quite a moment for you and your guys um that was probably pretty cool um so, in it, and the other thing is that you've built in these layers of leadership. You know, you've, you've given kids, young men, you know, the uh, opportunity to be vulnerable with several different layers and, and, you know, you've got the mentor program and that starts even before they step foot on campus. And then, you know, layers, you, I was thinking when you were talking about it, um, that it kind of sounds a little military chain of command kind of thing, but. You know, I'm sure it has that purpose, but there's a lot more to it as well than just, you know, passing down and passing up information. You know, it's uh, kind of a checks and balances system. Um, you know, what made you decide to, to take that route and install that kind of framework within your organization?
2: Um, I just think that, like... <clears throat> Groups, at least in my experience, groups benefit from having some structures that are comfortable in a way. And by using these different tools, whether it be the mentorship or the books or whatever it is, directing their attention to the most important things is kind of important. Um, Mm -hmm. And making it in group form gives them comfort so they don't have to do anything solo which they really value um (laughs) so i think it's i don't know those things it's it's interesting but i was i was working at an id camp where there was about 20 college coaches there and talking with one who's who's a good peer sort of competitor of mine and he's like did i hear that you make your kids read books in the summer I was like, yeah. And like, he was blown away. He's like, what are you trying to get done? And I'm like, trying to get him to learn. And it's just to yeah. me, it's, you know, it's great that we have wins and everything, but there's so much that sport teaches that's so beyond X's and O's. And yeah. to be successful, I think you need to know a lot of other stuff than the perfect pass, the, exquisite finish um and i think that's kind of why we go about it because i do believe there's a lot more to being a successful athlete than just being technically skillful on a ball um so we try to cover that in varied ways um and alums tell us they they should have found it valuable so we ask alums regularly about like what they would change you know in our senior meetings what they would change in their experience and how they would switch it and what they valued and and that stuff they they often say they really enjoyed it and valued it um, so they won't they suggest not changing it so once they come back and say yeah it's stale now we need to do something different we'll we'll change it um but right now it seems that they're
0: valuing it so so as an aside question what are some of the top books that you've had you guys read? Are they? Do they change every summer? Or, um, oh yeah. yeah. You...
2: The first book they read is is a wooden book, you know, a, a pyramid book on wooden and philosophy of coaching and awesome. his pyramid stuff. Um, the second is the Champion's Mind by Jim Acromile. Uh Sophomores have to read that, and then juniors uh, have the extra burden of reading Who Moved My Cheese. Which I call is a, it's a short read, but the plays, yeah, but the plays are phenomenal.
1: I'm not, I'm not familiar.
2: It it will take you We're about, not talking about a half
0: hours of it. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I read it years ago. It's it's actually really cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just to clarify, we are not talking about Justin Chesham. No, <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: See, it's it's the funniest one because, you know, people would think, oh, I'm going to get this, like, encyclopedic sports-like book or something to give them and make them really study and do this. And this thing's like a 50-page little thing, but it's what I found really resonates with them. And essentially, it's like, you know, if they've had success the first couple of years and they don't change, they stop growing. Then they're not going to have continued success. So they got to figure out it's not how we did it last year. It's each year we got to add something and be different and better. And that's kind of why I use that
0: book. Yeah, Brendan, did you guys have you guys read uh, read books at some point?
1: We've done a few different things with our leadership group in the past. Um, in terms of the entire team, we've done uh, we've done growth mindset. You know, we've had the whole team got copies of that for the whole team at various times. Um, within my leadership groups, I've done Simon Sinek. Uh, you know, leaders eat last. I think is and me coming from a little bit of you know having a military background. Um, some of the some of the stuff in Leaders Eat Last because he does work with a lot of military groups and a lot of the lessons he gleans, which are generalizable, certainly, uh, but they do come from his experience with some of those groups. You know, they they really hit home for me and resonate with me. So maybe I'm just uh, projecting that onto my group, but uh, that's one that I definitely uh, I'm drawn toward. And the other one we did last year was a, a book called Extreme Ownership, which is, again, written by a couple Navy SEALs. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but the concepts, you know, I, have, I find I have to caveat it early on. I say, OK, guys, we're going to read a book called Extreme Ownership. It's written by these two guys who are Navy SEALs. You can look up their careers. They've done some some wild stuff, you know, in their lives. Say, so, but I want you guys to try and try and distill the lessons out of this and try to contextualize it for where you are in your life and where our team is right now. Because if you try to behave towards your teammates the same way a, a Navy SEAL platoon commander would, we're <laughs> probably not gonna get too far. And so I like it for that reason as well. I think the the lessons are are crucial you know the idea of always thinking about the group before you think about yourself when it comes to leaders eat last and the idea of owning everything that happens in your program not saying that you can control everything but the idea that you own everything in your program from the staff down to you know every single player owns what they're doing within our program and so i think those those just those concepts basically are are really cornerstones for what we're trying to do in our program and like I said, I always have to try to contextualize the book for them and, and make sure that, you know, I'm not telling you to to behave like a, a Navy SEAL or like an Air Force pilot or anything like that. I'm telling you think about what you can draw from this and put into your context and will be useful there. So those are the two recently that I think have I've really kind of settled on as being really helpful with our leadership groups. Yeah.
2: I think too there's a second part to it, like whenever we give readings or anything. I- how do we get processing done after they have whatever work it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something where at the start here, I would just say, okay, now you guys have to present as classes for your book. And, you know, it's PowerPoint, everything, which Mm -hmm. is so boring. So (laughs) that's why they do plays now, because I'm like, no, you, you got to have some fun with it and be creative and figure out how it is Mm -hmm. to be like those things that Brendan was just saying, what he wants them to glean from the book, if they're having to act it out or do it, they're kind of looking for those things a little bit more than just reporting mm-hmm. as an academic on it. Um, right. and, and I found it always creates good laughs, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But they come up with some pretty creative ways to, to present um,
0: different things they glean from the books. mm-hmm Yeah, you don't want them necessarily acting out uh, Navy SEAL things in their
2: presentation. (laughs) It would be actually kind of funny to see some (laughs) of the guys on my team
1: try it. You gotta be kind of careful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So, when we're recording this, it's uh, getting ready to be preseason. You guys are days away from the start of your training and, and then matches. It's remarkable to me how quickly you guys have matches right after you start after a guy's report. But, um, and I was just kind of wondering um, like if, if someone's uh, just graduated and they're getting ready to report for their first season, um, it's a, it's a really tough go that first year, especially I'm sure that, you know, you, You got six days a week and you have um, two games a week a lot of times for several months. I mean, it's the hardest they've ever been pushed in their lives, I would guess. Um, So kind of from a a preparation standpoint, you know, it's obvious that they need to be fit. It's obvious that that they need to hone their soccer skills. But, you know, you guys, I would be foolish not to ask you how they should prepare on a mental side um for for a long tough season where they're they're new to everything and they're trying to figure out how to be a student at especially with you guys two really tough schools um how do they kind of I mean Mike it's awesome that you have the mentor program but I mean they still are gonna get hit in the face when they walk on campus right well,
2: I, I just think it's just having regular checkpoints um. You know like even in the preseason plan like we have built in times where we're going to have you know a cookout in my backyard or we're going to do something fun as a team or we're going to a restaurant instead of going to dining services or trying to get them to do things to i don't know get them out of that and just as part of a team and not having to think of all the worries that they have as a student and a person attending college for the first time as well. Um, And then it's we have regular meetings throughout the season as well where we're checking in and asking those questions about how everything's going Um, and making sure that we're aware. I know at at least here for the first year, I actually get their midterm grades as well, Um, which helps me and anybody knows that if they have anything below a B that we have a mandatory meeting and we'll talk proactively about how to try to raise that grade. So it's, there's a lot of just checkpoints built into the system. I think just to aid them with whatever they might be seeing, thinking, feeling, um, because it does, it is unique to each individual and it's funny. It's, I just find making sure that conversation is regular is the best way to just make sure nothing gets too drastic.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think for, for preparation, it's hard to, you can't replicate what it's going to be like to be in preseason. You know, you can, you can train twice a day at home. You can do all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think one of the most important things for me and what I think, pays off the most when you first get on a college campus is if you've been in situations where you failed before and sometimes you don't have a ton of control over that as a youth player like mike was talking about having a player who was basically the best player on the field most of the time you know in his youth career and you know you can learn things from succeeding certainly uh but it's a you know it's a well-used well-worn trope that you know you learn more from failure and so my i would encourage young players to to try and find ways to Put yourself in tough situations, you know, not like not legally or anything like that, but, uh, you know, tough situations on the field, tough situations in the classroom. When you have a choice between doing something that you're comfortable with and something that you're not sure about, can you find a way to do the thing that you're not sure about? Because that I think pays off hugely, especially early in your college career when being uncomfortable is not the worst thing in the world for you. Not knowing what's going on, you can still function, you know, when you don't know exactly what's going on, or you don't know exactly what the right answer is, or exactly how to proceed in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a little bit of a, you know, a philosophical answer, I guess, to the question, you know, Mike's was definitely more uh, uh, concrete. Uh, but that would be my, my take on it, or my advice to to young players, you know, if they can do that.
0: Yeah. Um, you guys create uh, I know the answer to this, but I mean, how do you guys create pressure situations during training and that sort of thing? And, and you know, what do you how are you expecting your players to react? And, um, you know, Mike, when when you see them not quite reacting the way you would hope they would, you know, how are you handling that and, you know, kind of guiding them through? where they felt like they did fail and didn't handle the pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, every activity we play in practice, there's a
2: winner and a loser. Um, Everything's competitive and it's measured. Um, So they know after every activity, if they've performed well, (laughs) quite honestly, Um, and they get punished if they lose. So they know that too. Um, So there's nothing secret about it. And, I lean on the upperclassmen a lot to make sure they're not losing two games in a row and making sure that, you know, if you go through a practice and you've done poor activities and you're on the losing side of every activity, well, that's a failure of a day. Um, so we talk about as we go through, we'll, we'll try to get them to understand, okay, well, what do you need to do different? Like, how do you go back if we do this again? How are you guys going to operate differently as a group in order to not be on the losing side of this? Um, And I often say that I think the players, as they come to us at college, they're trained in cereal box answers. And what I mean by that is if we ask them questions, they're typically coming back with play it wide, open up the field, like to anything you ask them. They just spit out what they've been coached over and over and over. And we try to make sure we're having very, I don't know, specific communication, you know, No, this field is this, and this is a task, so how do you do best here? Let's walk it through step-by-step to exactly what you execute in order to win this game. And start to try to train them to start thinking about whenever they get into an activity, how do they win it? Um, And I think that's, that's part of what happens to the younger guys through preseason is they start figuring out that we don't want them just to play good. You want them to figure out how to win and figure out how to be
0: competitive in that way. Brendan, you got anything to add to that?
1: Uh, I mean, pretty similar. I think keeping things competitive and and providing opportunities, sometimes making an exercise too difficult, you know, where they're not going to find the answer right away and it's going to take them, they're going to get frustrated and they're going to get frustrated with each other and they might get frustrated with the staff and, they might feel like we've been set up for failure and we might say, yeah, you have been. And we're looking to see how you respond to that type of situation. Like what, what type of resilience do you have when things aren't going well? When you're frustrated as a group, do you pull apart or do you pull together? You know, th- those are the types of things that we're trying to train and try to, first of all, just to make them aware of it. Like, hey, you got really frustrated and you did this. Did you even realize it? Did you see it happening? Um, because sometimes the awareness isn't even there you say, "Oh, did I did I make that face? Did I say that to that guy? Did I was my body language like that?" And you go, "Yeah, I was watching you the whole time." And so just right. creating that those moments where they can become aware of how they respond to difficult situations and frustration. And then from there as Mike was talking about sort of sort of discussing what why the failure occurred and you know, how do we how do we set ourselves up in the future for to overcome that adversity without failing first. And you know, those types of things are all, you know, I think we do probably similar things within our programs to try to, to build those muscles, if you will, you know, being able to overcome difficult situations.
0: Yeah. And failure is kind of creating moments of leadership too, for some, some players. Um, you hope, yeah, kind of, then you know, who who is going to be your leaders. So we're at an hour and I want to be respectful of you guys' time. So, um, did I miss anything? Anything else that uh, I mean? I know you guys are a wealth of knowledge, so anything else you want to throw in there to uh, close it out?
1: Mike and I haven't had a chance to chat in a while, so this was really fun, and I got to pick his brain again. So I'm I'm all yeah. fired up again.
2: <laughs> See, like he he brought up some things that sort of I think like something that he'll love is as he was talking about his books and stuff like that. It is it comes down to knowing what you don't know is the most important thing to know in life and the more we can expose players to being real with themselves about that they'll succeed in everything they do
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yep for sure all right anything else i'm
1: good
2: all right all right thanks guys
0: Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail.